also to the village. Um, and now we're going to invite up Tiffany, and she's going to be our scripture reader for today as we've been going through our sermon series of this summer called Formed, talking about different ways in which different aspects of the Christian faith form us into mature Christians. This week we're going to be talking about simplicity, and Tiffany's going to read out Colossians 2, verses 8 to 15 for us. Good morning, everyone. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of Christ in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. All right. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Dear Father, we're just so thankful for the opportunity to be worshiping together. We're thankful that we get to learn more about you, to understand who you are, and to better understand the ways in which you impact every aspect of our lives. Father, I just pray that as we journey through God's word today, that it will really impart your wisdom upon each and every one of our hearts, helping us to better understand how we can be formed and come formed to look more like your son and to pursue obedience to him. So, Father, I pray with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, would they be acceptable in your sight and help each and every one of us just to walk away wanting to pursue faith in you. Pray this in your most glorious name. Amen. So one of my favorite quotes is the word kiss as an acrostic. And it says, keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Now that last S does hurt a little bit, um, just being honest. But I, I think I understand what he's really trying to communicate. Like in the show, The Office, he's trying to help Salesmen like Dwight Schrute to better understand how to get people to buy paper. And so what he's communicating is keep the main thing the main thing. Everything in your pitch, everything in your conversation with people is to a particular goal. And so we shouldn't be focused on so many detours and so many things we could be talking about, but we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Keep what is primary at the forefront of every aspect of your conversation. And that's similar with Christian simplicity. 
that we live in a world, we live in this life that is complex, that can be a mess, that can be a struggle. And there are a lot of detours that we can take. There are a lot of things that we could be focusing on. But with Christian simplicity, we have a North Star. We have a goal in mind. We have something that we are constantly pursuing. We have something that is certain. It's as Richard Foster says in this article, Four Paradoxes of Christian Simplicity, he says this, Christian simplicity is being aware of many complex issues while having only one issue at the center, obedience to Christ. And so it's understanding that, yes, we have a lot that we are going through. This life is a mess. This life is not easy. But we do have a North Star that we are consistently trying to strive forward to, and that is trusting, obeying, and deepening our relationship with Jesus. And so as we journey through and try to better understand, Colossians 2, 8 to 15 is Paul really unpacking this understanding for us and helping us to acknowledge that, yes, we may struggle in this life, but we have a North Star that's keeping us from getting through this mess, which is Jesus Christ. And so this leads us to our first, our first point, simple knowledge, a simple knowledge. So Paul in Colossians is opposing a heretical Christian sect known as the Gnostics, and they derive their name from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. And so this particular Christian sect believes that the more knowledge you acquire, the smarter you are, the more intellect that you may have, that that implies that you are closer in your relationship with God. That in some way, shape, or form, you may be a more superior Christian because you know things about God that no one else could ever know. And so Paul, and just to be clear, Paul isn't opposing them because he's anti-intellectual, because he's anti-us, understanding the why behind what we believe in. I mean, Paul himself comes from a background where he is very learned. As a Pharisee, he studied and slaved over the Old Testament text. But then when he met Jesus Christ, all of that came alive to him. And he understood all of this was to ultimately help us to understand that Jesus was coming, that freedom was coming. And so he himself is a learner. He himself is someone who says, hey, continue to learn, continue to understand, to continue to understand why we believe in what we believe in. And so Paul himself can't be someone who is saying, yo, I'm anti-intellectual. We should not pursue knowledge. No. What Paul is opposing is that the Gnostics believe that their knowledge is their ultimate way to salvation. That the more knowledge they acquire, the superior they are in their Christian faith. And that means in some way, shape, or form that their knowledge is going to be the only way that they will be saved. That their knowledge is their only hope. And here's the thing, this is not only in their current time, like this is in our time today as well. We see this in Christian culture, but we also see this in culture at large. That the more degrees that you may have, the the more certificates that you may have, the more social media followers that you may have, prove that you are a trusted source. That you are someone to be trusted, that you are someone who can't be questioned, and that you, because of your charisma in some way, shape, or form, are able to tell people what to do and how to do it. And we see this also in the church as well, that the more theologians you could quote, the more Bible verses that you can quote, the more Christian books that you're able to read proves that you are superior compared to other people. 
that the knowledge that you have is the way in which you prove your worth, not only just in the world, but ultimately as a Christian in your faith. And so we see this all throughout culture. And so Paul is warning the Colossians and us not to fall into this trap, to not focus on our knowledge and acquiring and doing these quote unquote Christian things, but to focus on our ultimate North Star. He says this in verse eight, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. And so the gospel is not based on who can provide and give the best argument or who is the most clever. The gospel is about us being able to focus on our North Star, being able to trust in that Jesus Christ will help us to understand the simplicity of life and that in him comes a lot of our solutions. That in him, it helps us to obey him and trust him and be more like Jesus. But to be clear, as we are pursuing this North Star, as we are pursuing Jesus Christ, this is not saying that we ourselves are in some way, shape, or form finished products now that we have come to faith in Jesus. No, we are not finished products. Like, I don't know about you. I can speak for myself. I am not a finished product. You can ask my wife. She will say, he is not a finished product. Just come live with him for 24 hours. And so we are called, and Paul is challenging us to grow in our faith and continue to understand the why behind what we believe in and to allow for that to mold us, to allow for that to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. It says this in verses 9 to 10, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Verse 10, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And so as we are pursuing the why behind what we believe in, as we are continuing to learn and to grow, is with the purpose of us understanding that Jesus Christ is our superiority, that Jesus Christ is the head, that he is the authority, that he is the one that we are to focus on. And so everything we do should be coupled with that. That we understand that the Christian things we do, the knowledge that we pursue, isn't just for knowledge's sake like the Gnostics. Because a lot of times in doing so, we're pursuing knowledge just for knowledge's sake. We're actually diminishing the role of Jesus Christ. We're not focusing on what is important, what is imperative. And we'll touch on that even that much more. And so this is one of the things, one of the practical things that I believe that anything that we are doing from a Christian standpoint, as we're preaching a sermon, as we're reading a book, as we're trying to understand deep theological concepts, all of it should be coupled with prayer. Every aspect of it should be bathed in prayer. Why? Because prayer is the why behind. It helps us to realize the why behind what we do in this Christian life. It reminds us that all of these things aren't just to be done, just to be done, but all of these things are to be done in order to help us to know more of Jesus Christ. All of these things are an expression of our faith and of our understanding that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. It's all in order to pursue our North Star. When we don't couple it with prayer, it's similar to when I've done something stupid and I've offended my wife in some way, shape, or form. And I say, I'm sorry that I did this thing. And my wife looks at me and before she forgives me, she says this, do you know why you are saying sorry? And I'm going to say this to y'all. 
If I don't know why I am apologizing to my wife, that is just as bad, if not worse, than the offense itself. You know, just depending on what I did. Sometimes the offense is really bad and it doesn't really matter. And so the reality is we need to understand the why behind we do the things we do. We need to keep what is important, important, what is vital, vital. And so when we are reading Christian books, when we are trying to understand the deep aspects of our faith, it should help us to grow more in our relationship with Jesus. So that's what prayer does. Prayer is the why behind the reason we do the things that we do. And we shouldn't just be doing them just to do them, but we should be doing them in order to pursue a deep faith, obedience, and relationship to Jesus Christ. This brings us to another issue that Paul really has with the Gnostics and other Christian sects that he's talking to in Colossians. And that's the way, and I mentioned this earlier, that's the way in which they diminish the role of Jesus Christ. As they're pursuing their knowledge, as they're doing these Christian things, they believe that these things in and of themselves will save them. That these things in and of themselves will give them their ultimate unconditional love. And in so doing that they are diminishing and saying, Jesus Christ really isn't that big of a deal. Like he's, he's up there, but he is not my ultimate hope. And so this brings us to our next point, a simple Jesus. A simple Jesus. And to be clear, let's just, just before anyone walks out and says, Pastor Julius says Jesus is simple. I'm not saying he's simple. He is anything but simple. This can even be, say, a simple Jesus in quotation marks. But Jesus leads us to an important question. He leads us to ask one very imperative question. Who are you going to put your faith in? No matter who you are, whether you're Christian, whether you're non-Christian, somewhere in between, Jesus leads us to ask the question, who are you going to put your hope in? Who are you going to ultimately trust? And there's really only two options, yourself or Jesus. Yourself or Jesus. And let's read verses 11 to 15. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands. By putting off the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. And so Paul here is taking two Christian activities, circumcision and baptism, to unveil and help us to understand what we tend to put our trust in a lot of times. And so during this time, both of these Christian acts, circumcision and baptism, were really important. For us today, baptism is a symbol. It doesn't mean that at that moment that's when you're saved, but it's a symbol to say that you are placing your allegiances publicly with Jesus Christ. But the work of salvation has already been done before you were baptized. It's just a public declaration of what has already happened in your life. But here, it seems to be a little bit different. 
for many of the Christian sects and the Gnostics, a lot of times they would say that if you were not circumcised and baptized, that meant you were not saved. That doing this Christian act in and of itself, doing both of these acts would mean that you have in some way controlled your salvation. You have controlled your destiny. You are now playing the own hero of your life. And Jesus Christ is kind of taken to the background. He's a background singer in the band right now. That you are taking the lead role by being able to control your own eternal destiny. And so Paul is trying to help them to understand this can't be it. But here's the thing. We all want the same thing, right? Just like them, we want to be in control. We want to have control over every aspect of our lives. We want to have control over every aspect of our destiny. I mean, I know I tend to want to as well, because I believe that when people listen to me, when life goes according to plan, life gets a lot simpler. I believe that, even though a lot of times that's not how it happens. And so I think about when people say, well, my spouse isn't listening to me and our relationship is struggling. If they would just listen to me, then guess what? Life would go a lot better for us. Or when we say that, you know, I'm at my job and I wish my boss would just give me that promotion because they would help me to have less stress in my life. We believe that that would help us to have a simpler life. Or when we tell our teacher when we were growing up that I don't need to show all my work in a math problem in order to get full credit, we would say that would lead to a simpler life. But here's the thing, a lot of times, sometimes it does lead to simpler solutions, but a lot of times it really doesn't. A lot of times when we're saying our spouse should be listening to us, we're actually not listening to them as well. A lot of times when we're saying our boss should give us that promotion so we can get more money, we forget what Notorious B.I.G. said, more money, more problems. We forget that when we are in control, when we are trying to literally try to take control over every aspect in our lives, when we're trying to, in the car of life, take the wheel, we don't realize that we tend to create a lot of traffic. We tend to crash into other cars. We tend to create five-car pileups because life doesn't go the way we want it to go, and because of that, we lash out. When we take control, it doesn't go well. And so Paul in verses 11 to 15 is helping us to understand that baptism, circumcision, preaching a sermon, leading through worship, reading Christian books, being able to quote verses isn't what's going to save us in and of itself. These things can't redeem your soul. These things can't eradicate the the debt that's been on your life due to your sin. These things can't save you, but guess what? Jesus can. Verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken away by nailing it to the cross. Look, that's powerful. Because he's allowing for freedom to actually happen. 
At these Christian activities, these Christian things that we do, they do not save us. Jesus Christ has already taken care of that for us. And so we're no longer ha- having to heap up good works, good things and say, God, look at what this, what in your boy's life. I've done these good things. They outweigh the bad. No, he's saying you are now able to do one of the greatest stories ever told because it's not saying that you are limited by quote unquote Christian things, that you are limited by the law. No, what God is saying is, no, now you are free. You are free to live and to fall in love with me each and every day. That everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all things to the glory of God. And that leads to a simple life. That leads to less complexities. That leads to more understanding in this life. But, you know, let's be honest, even as I say that, even as I express it, you know, probably some of y'all are thinking, yo, bro, but I got stuff to do today. I still got to live today. I still got struggles. I still got things that I got to worry about. I got to go home and take care of people. I got to change a diaper, whatever it may be. I got to do things for work. So Jesus Christ really helps us to have the certainty for eternity. But what do we do in the here and now? How do we get through the day-to-day grind that we call life? So this brings us to the third and last point, a simple life. A simple life. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 7, and we'll also skip down to verse 11. Let me read this out. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. As we also previously told and warned you, For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Verse 11, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And so Paul here is talking to a community known as the Thessalonians, and they were renowned for their faith in the region of Macedonia. That Paul came there and unlike other times when he would go on a missionary journey, he actually picked up a job. He was a tent maker because in this town, it was a blue collar city and people respected people for working. And so Paul shares the gospel, works with them and shares the gospel with them and they believe And this letter, especially in chapter 4, is kind of him walking through a lot of their confusion based on how they are to express and live out their faith now. Because for them, there was a lot of confusion. It's like, we believe in this Jesus Christ, but we're struggling what it means to live out our Christian faith on a day-to-day basis now that we have this profound truth. And so he kind of names out three very practical ways to live a quiet or simple life, and we'll go through them. Practical way one, contentment. Contentment. This is verses three to five. 
So particularly in these verses, it really kind of hones in on controlling your sexual lust, controlling who you are sexually doing things with. But it's not just about the sexuality aspect, but he's also leaning more towards being content with being willing to say, I have enough, that Jesus Christ is enough. And that's a struggle because we live in an American culture where we are taught to get, get, get. And when we have enough, that means we actually don't have enough. We need to get some more. Like Tom Brady is quoted as saying, when someone asked him, yo, what's the best championship you, want, you ever won? His answer without a pause was the next one. The next one. I don't even know how many he's got, but he's got more than enough. And he says the next one. And so we're taught to say we need to continue to get more. But the challenge here for Paul and for us is he's saying, yo, be one to say I have enough. And that's hard. Because in this life, we want to be able to provide for people. We feel like the more that we get, the better we'll be able to provide and the less stress we have. But that a lot of times is not true. When you look at people who have a lot of money, they are just as depressed as the rest of us a lot of times. And it's because we're not fighting for contentment. So Pastor Larry, last week, really, he preached a really great sermon on being grateful, being thankful. I think it's really imperative, especially here, that we learn the lesson of what it means to be grateful for the things that we have. And one practical step, one practical thing we can do is have a thankfulness list or a gratefulness list. That once a week, once a month, or every couple times a year, we write down a list of ways that we can be grateful that even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of the strifes in life, we can look at that list and say, God is still doing something. God is still at work. His promises are still yes and amen. And so this leads to our next practical point, love your neighbor, particularly in verse 6. Love your neighbor. This is, you know, being involved in one another's lives, knowing what's going on, but this is particularly being able to remind one another of the promises of God. Because I don't know about you, but I need my squad. I need my ride or dies. I need people in my life who are not just there just to say hi and bye, or not just there just to say, Julius, you're doing a great job, but I need friends to say, yo, Julius, what's going on? You messing up. Like you're messing up at home and we need to talk through these things. People who are willing to go into my life and say, I want to get to the nitty gritty, the mess, in order to say that we can walk through this together. It's not the high and by relationship. It's the I am here to stay type of relationship through whatever you are going through. And we need people like that in our lives, that when the, the waters of life are overwhelming us, they pull us out of the water and help us to understand that the promises are God, of God are still true. I think about the book Pilgrim's Progress, and for those who don't know, this is a, crash, a, a, a classic Christian book written by John Bunyan, and it's an allegorical story about the Christian life. And it revolves around one main character named Christian, and he is going through one journey after another trying to get to the celestial city. 
And so he is towards the end and he's about to cross the river with this friend hopeful and he starts to doubt. At the last possible moment when you think he shouldn't be doubting at this point, he has gone through a book's worth of struggles and now he is about to die. All of this is going to be in vain. And it feels like you're watching a movie where the main character dies and you're like, this ending sucks. This is awful. But then at the last minute, as he is doubting, as the rivers and the waters are overwhelming him, his homeboy, Hopeful, pulls him out of the water. And he says this to them. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God hath forsaken you, but are sent to try you. Whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. Hopeful in that moment reminded him that these struggles, these doubts that you are having are temporary. These distresses, these trials and tribulations are temporary. They are not permanent, but there is something that is permanent, and that is the North Star, Jesus Christ. That is the reality of the gospel, and we need people in our lives who are pulling us out of the waters of the struggles of life, who can point us directly to the cross. That's why we say join serving teams. That's why we say join community groups, not just to join them and to hang out with people. That's nice. But it's ultimately to be a part of a community, to get into people's lives in order so that you can be a hopeful. But also when you're a Christian, other people can be a hopeful for you. To remind you of the promises of God and to point you back to what a simple life truly is. And our last point, practical point three, work, work. And this is in verse 11. And so the Thessalonians upon them learning more about Jesus Christ and learning about the truths of the gospel, they kind of had an issue because you know, Paul had told them that Jesus Christ is coming again. There is a second coming. And so for them, they weren't like, oh, in the future, a couple hundred years from now, they're like, he coming tonight, son. He's coming tomorrow. So we're going to quit our jobs. I don't need to work. I don't need to do nothing. Jesus Christ is coming back tonight. And so Paul is like, yo, hold on, player. Hold on. Relax. Chill. You still need to provide for people. You still need to work. You still need to be a community together still continue to work, still continue to be faithful in the day-to-day because even working is an expression of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's part of your testimony as well. But here's the thing for us. I think we tend to have or kind of go to the other side of the spectrum. We work too much. Work rules over every aspect of our lives. And sometimes it becomes really hard to delineate between our work life and our home life to be engaged while we are there, to be able to serve those who are there, or even love on ourselves, to take care of ourselves because we're constantly working all of the time. Like I know for myself, when I was, you know, going through the pandemic, I would wake up in my PJs, brush my teeth, and then just go to my office and start work because everybody was working from home. And my wife one day stopped me and said, hey, bro, number one, those PJs stink. But number two, more importantly, 
you can't delineate between your home and work life because you're constantly working in the same clothes. And it was rolling over every aspect of my life. I couldn't delineate, I couldn't separate. And so we need to figure out ways that we can delineate between our work life and our home life and so that work will not rule over us. So this can be really simple ways that when you're on your way home, listening to a sermon, listening to the Bible being read to you in your iPods or headphones or whatever people are listening to or how they're listening to nowadays. This can be on your way home praying or right before you get into the door, just pray and be reminded of why you do what you do, why you are working as a Christian. You know, this can even be just when you get home, if you are there with the family, everybody praying together. There are a lot of different ways. This can be when you wake up in the morning, having a verse that you're kind of reciting to yourself all the day long because it reminds you that this is not the ultimate goal. But Jesus Christ is that ultimate goal. It helps us to understand that every aspect of our life, there's no secular or, or holy. Every aspect is holy. Every aspect is God's. Everything that we have, everything that we are belongs to God. Whether you believe it or not, that's just the facts. That's just the truth. It all belongs to God. And so every aspect of the gospel touches our lives. And that's what Christian simplicity is all about. It's us being able to understand that life is a struggle. Like, look, let's be honest. It's hard being a human being. Being a human being at the least can be complicated. At the most, it can be a real struggle. There can be hard suffering in this life. And as we continue and continue to strive for in this life, it can be hard if we don't have a North Star. If we don't have something that we are continually pursuing that is for certain, that is always there, that is our grounding foundation, we can get lost in this life. We can go down rabbit trails and detours, not tr trying to figure out where we're supposed to go, but never understanding where we actually need to be. So Christian simplicity is helping us to understand that we constantly need to be pursuing Christ in everything we do and everything we are. Because the gospel is truly that transformative. The gospel is truly that powerful. That even in the day-to-day, -day, even though there's the eternal promise in the day-to-day, -day, it still applies to us right now. And that's what Christian simplicity is all about. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggles are. But I do pray that for those who are Christians, that you would continue to believe and continue to trust in the promises of God when you are in the midst of your struggles. And for those who may not affiliate with the Christian faith, I would ask, like, what is your North Star in life? Do you have a goal that you are pursuing in this life? Something that grounds you, that helps you to trust in something when everything seems to be going awry? And if the answer is no, why not take a look at Jesus? Why not take a look at the one who literally says, I have forgiven you of all of your wrongdoings. That I have literally put my life on the line in order to ensure that you would be free to truly enjoy life. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. And I'll leave you guys with this. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, as hopeful is pulling out Christian from the rivers of despair. After hopeful says what he said earlier, Christian responds to him. He says this. Oh, I see him again. And he tells me, when thou, had, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And so in that moment, Christian sees that the promises of God are still real. And no matter what is going on, that even in the midst of such pain, such hurt, such disappointment, such despair, God is still there. If anything, in the midst of what you're going through, God is actually there even that much more. The promises of God apply that much more in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of when all hope seems lost. That's when God shows you that hope is still available and it's still that real. And so I just pray for each and every one of you. Will we be able to trust and continue to pursue the North Star that is Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the fact that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. I thank you for the fact that Everything that we do, everything that we are is out of an expression of that as Christians. That we now get to worship you freely and enjoy life and to know that the solution is Jesus. And so I pray that as we are going through the waves and the waters of life, as we may be going through doubt, as we may be going through disappointment, as we may be going through the different detours that life seems to be throwing at us, I pray would we continue to focus on keep what is ultimately important and imperative there, which is obedience and growing in our relationship with your son. And so I just pray, Father, help us in that endeavor. Help us to continually and consistently know more of you. I pray this in your most glorious name. Amen.